You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. ever look to Jesus for those calming words, don't be afraid. even goes further to tell the disciples, let not your hearts be troubled. Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe in me. This is what God's promises do. They remind us and focus us to the truth. See, we get stuck and we begin to believe the lies that Satan throws at us. We stuck and all of a sudden we're believing these lies and we lose focus. We become tilted. When a boat is listing, there's a lot of uncertainty as to if it will become capsized. Do you notice your own heart and mind verging toward being capsized by the enemy? Today, Pastor Dave mentions the fact that at any moment, you're susceptible to being submerged by the devil who's feeding you lies rather than promises. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of Acts chapter 18 as he begins his message, Standing on the Promises of God. His name was Robert Kelso Carter, and he lived from 1849 to 1828. He was a star athlete of a military academy, and he was a very, very good student academically. He went on to be a successful teacher and a coach. He spent several years even as an ordained Methodist minister, and after which he went to medical school. He spent the last of his professional years as a doctor of medicine. Carter was also a musician and a songwriter. And in 1886, he co-edited Songs of a Perfect Love with John Sweeney. Although Carter was professed Christian most of his life, it wasn't until a crisis with his natural heart that he, he began to understand the reality and the power of the Bible and the Bible promises. At age 30, his health was so critical and such critical condition that the physicians said there was nothing more they could do. They threw up their hands and said, we can do nothing more. It was then that Carter turned to God for help and healing. As he knelt, he made a promise that either he would be healed or not, but either way, his life was finally and forever fully consecrated to the service of the Lord. It was from that moment on that the written word of God became alive to Carter. He began to stand upon the promises of healing, determining to believe no matter what his physical condition, no matter how he felt, he would believe God's promises. Over the course of the next several months, his strength returned. His heart was fully healed, and he went on to live 49 more years. Yeah. Carter had written a hymn earlier, a hymn that you probably all know and probably all love. This was before his healings. But now the words he wrote became more than just words to him. They became more than just music. They became an integral part of his life. I'm sure you've all heard it, and I'm sure maybe you all have sung it in church or in Sunday school when you grow up. Standing on the promises of God? Who knows it? Standing on the promises of Christ my King, through eternal ages let His praises sing. 
glory in the highest, I will shout and sing, standing on the promises of God. You know the chorus. Standing, standing, standing on the promises of God, my Savior. Standing, standing, I'm standing on the promises of God. Very good. Very good. I had the words, so I was cheating. There's four other passages that I'd like to read to you. Listen to these words that he wrote. Standing on the promises, I cannot fall. Listening every moment to the Spirit's call. Resting in my Savior as my all in all. Standing on the promises of God. Standing on the promises I now can see. Perfect, present cleansing in the blood for me. Standing in the liberty where Christ makes free. Standing on the promises of God. Standing on the promises of Christ the Lord, bound to him eternally by love's strong cord, overcoming daily with the Spirit's sword, standing on the promises of God. Then he repeats this verse, standing on the promises I shall not fall, listening every moment to the Spirit's call, resting in my Savior as my all and all, standing on the promises of God. Great song. That's one of my favorites. I guess the question has to be asked today, are you standing on the promises of God? Do you believe the promises of God that we find in God's word, and do you hold them close to your heart, or are they just mere words printed on a piece of paper? It's my hope that they're life-changing words. It's my hope that they are life-altering words, words that are alive to you and words that are true. The Apostle Paul stood on those promises. The Apostle Paul knew the promises of God that he had given him, and he knew that the Lord had presented him with these promises for one reason, to make him confident in Christ, to make him confident in God. You know, from time to time, Paul needed encouragement. He needed help remembering the promises of God, and guess what? I don't know about you, but so do I. Every now and then, I need help remembering the promises of God. I need help finding them. In today's text, we find Paul once again still in the city of Corinth. In studies past, I'll catch you up a little bit, we said that Corinth was the Las Vegas of the ancient world. It was a sinful place, a decadent place where anything goes. When Paul arrived in Corinth, he came alone all by himself, and he was probably somewhat discouraged over what had happened in Athens with the Athenian philosophers. We studied about that. But once he was there, he did receive encouragement. We spoke of this encouragement where he came and he found, first of all, he found like-minded individuals, Priscilla and Aquila. They were like-minded not only in their trade, which because they were tent makers, but they were like-minded in the fact that they were believers and they would go on to help Paul out and become very, very instrumental in his ministry. Secondly, Paul was further encouraged when Timothy and Silas showed up from Macedonia. Finally, his buds were back. You know what it's like to see your friends after they come back for a long time? It's wonderful to get with them and and reminisce and, and just you feel the Spirit of the Lord working in you. Well, that's how Paul felt. Paul saw his buddies, Silas and and Timothy, his son, coming from, from Macedonia. They brought with them news of the faith of the Thessalonians. They brought about their wonderful faith that was being exhibited in the church of Thessalonica. They also brought with them money, a monetary gift from the saints of Philippi. This encouraged Paul. This got him 
increased boldness. He became renewed in spirit, the scripture says. And in verse 5 of chapter 18, we read, he was so compelled by the spirit that he testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. Paul got his old swagger back. He was no longer timid. He was no longer had his tail between his legs. He got his old swagger back, and he was like, let's go, man. I'm going to give it to him straight, right between the eyes. But while he was in the synagogue, something happened. The Jews opposed him. They blasphemed the name of Jesus. This caused Paul to shake off his garments, and he said to them in verse 6, your blood be upon your own heads, for I am clean. From now on, I'm going to the Gentiles. Paul basically was telling the Jews and the Gentiles, hey, I told you about Jesus. I showed you through the, the scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah, is the Messiah. I showed you these things. I told you the way to salvation. I showed you and told you that Jesus was the only way to salvation, and the only way you could be saved was by faith in him, not by upholding the law. I showed you this. I'm clean. I'm clean. You cannot hold me responsible for your salvation because I've done everything that the Lord had told me to do. I presented the salvation message to you. It's yours to take, to receive, do with any you want. I'm clean. Any blood that's spilt is on your head. You got to make the decision. Paul was pretty bold here. But in spite of this opposition, in spite of what was happening with the Jews, a great harvest happened in Corinth. A great harvest because we read in verse 8, then Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his household, and many Corinthians, hearing, believed and were baptized. The ruler of the synagogue believed in Jesus Christ and became born again, his whole household. And all of a sudden, many, many other Corinthians, Greeks and Jews alike, started coming to the Lord, and there was this great, wonderful harvest in Corinth. In Corinth. As the Corinthians heard the word of God, as they heard it taught by Paul, they believed. They wanted to be baptized. They became born again into a living hope. They became brand new. And they started celebrating their faith and practicing their faith. But even through all this, because of what begins in verse 9, we feel that Paul was still a little shaky. Although he had gotten some of his swagger back, that old depression, that old despair, that old feelings of rejection might have been sneaking into his life. It probably was because of what happened in the synagogue. They rejected Christ, and when they rejected Christ, Paul said, hey, I'm done with you guys. I'm through. I'm going to go to the Gentiles. He said this by no, no, no uncertain terms, because in this day and age, when you shook your garments, when you rent your garments, it was a, a message of disgust. It was a message of contempt. It was all like saying this, I'm done, guys. I'm through. But this really must have hurt Paul. It really must have hurt the Apostle Paul because he had an enormous love for the Jews. I mean, after all, he was a Jew. Born of the tribe of Benjamin. Circumcised the eighth day. A Pharisee of the Pharisees. According to the law, blameless. He held his religion or held his, his Judaism at high standards and he was a Jew. His heart broke for his countrymen. And when he wrote that letter to the Roman believers, we read in verse 1 through 5 in chapter 9, he says this, I tell you the truth in Christ, I'm not lying. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart, for I, wish, I could wish that I were accursed from Christ, from my brethren, my countrymen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites, who pertain the adoption and glory, the covenants and giving of the law, the service of God and the promises. 
of whom are the fathers and from whom, according to the flesh, Christ came, who was over all and eternally blessed of God. Amen. Paul was distressed. His sorrow was greatly, and he was dismayed that, that the Jews wouldn't accept Christ, that they continually rejected him, and it broke his heart. It broke his heart to the extent where he'd said, I wish that I was accursed that they might come in. Willing to give up his salvation that others would join in and be saved. Paul had a great passion for souls. And this great passion for souls gave Paul perspective. It gave him a new, new life and a new lease on life and a new way to look at things. Do you have that passion for souls? Do you have that passion for those that are, that are dying out there, friends, family, relative members, people maybe in your own intermediate family who are dying without Christ? Do you have a passion for them to see the Lord? And does it go further to the people you work with and to the people that you run around with and the people that you know, the people you see on the street? People dying, going to hell because they don't know Christ. Do you have that passion for souls? Paul had this passion. Listen to what Spurgeon says about this passion. And about Paul's passion. Spurgeon said, and I quote, Lesser things did not trouble him because he was troubled by a great thing, the souls of men. Get love for the souls of men, Spurgeon says. Then you will not be whining about a dead dog or a sick cat or a little disturbance that someone had by their own idle talk. You will be delivered from petty worries. He said, I need not go further. He said, if you're concerned about the souls of men, listen how he ends this. Spurgeon says, get your soul full of great grief and your little griefs will be driven out. I like that. We like to say, major on the major and not the minor. Major on what's really important. In our text today, our shaky apostle maybe sliding back into depression, is going to receive some more encouragement. And he receives this in the form of a vision from the Lord himself. And it's filled with promises. And these promises we were going to look at in verses 9 through 10. We also see God's providential hand as the Lord intervenes on Paul's behalf. And as, as Paul is brought before a judge again and by the masses and accused of breaking the law. We're going to see that in verses 12 and 13. And finally, we're going to see Paul as he experiences God's mighty protection in verses 14 through 16. So what we have today is we have God's promises, God's providence, and God's protection. As we begin our study, the first thing we see is a vision from Paul that he receives, and in it is God's promises. Look at verses 9 and 10. Now the Lord spoke to Paul in a night by vision. Do not be afraid, but speak. Do not keep silent, for I am with you. And no one will attack you to hurt you, for I have many people in this city. Paul receives these promises by a vision. Don't be afraid to speak. I'm with you. No one's going to hurt you. I have people in this city. What an encouragement this must have been to Paul. What an encouragement it would be to anybody to get a vision like this and to get promises from God that I'm with you, that I, I got your back. Don't worry about what's going to happen to things. I'm there to protect you. What encouragement? Did the Apostle Paul remember when the Lord in the vision said, do not be afraid? Did the Apostle Paul remember that the Lord said this to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Daniel? What did the Lord say to Mary when he appeared? Don't be afraid. What did the angels say to the shepherds? Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. The Lord says that. You know, the Lord always has a way of writing a ship. He always has a way of writing the listing ship. You know, I've struggled. Hey, 
What's real is real. I've struggled with many things through my Christian life, and many of them have ended up causing me to be fearful, and they've caused me to be in distress. And I've had my moments of depression. It's no secret. We've talked about it here. And I've had my moments of confusion. And believe me, I know where confusion comes from. It doesn't come from Christ. There was this one incident when I was completely overwhelmed with the circumstances, and I completely lost focus. I completely lost focus. I was speaking to her on the phone to her brother, and he reminded me of God's many promises. And he refocused me on my Savior, Jesus Christ, and I felt re-energized, and I felt renewed in the Spirit. And I remember what I said to him. I said these very words, thanks for centering me. He said, what? I said, yeah, thanks for centering me. Because what he did, he brought me back to the center, the centrality of Jesus Christ. That's what he brought me back to. And that's what this church is all about. We have one thing in common here, the centrality of Jesus Christ. And that's what we celebrate here. In our lives, there should be one thing, the centrality of Jesus Christ. And that's what we should base our entire life on. And he should be the center and the head of everything that we do. I said, thanks for centering me because my life was now back-centered and my focus was renewed. He reminded me not to look at my circumstances because they're going to come and go. Good circumstances, bad circumstances, black circumstances, they're going to come and go. And if you're affected by those things, things you'll just be like that, bouncing all around depending upon the circumstances. Somebody will see you and go, oh, hi, must be good. Next time they seek you, hi, must be bad. We need to keep focus on the one who is able to keep us from falling, the one, Jesus Christ. We must ever look to Jesus for those calming words, don't be afraid. He even goes further to tell the disciples, let not your hearts be troubled. Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe in me. This is what God's promises do. They remind us and focus us to the truth. See, we get stuck, and we begin to believe the lies that Satan throws at us. we stuck, and all of a sudden we're believing these lies, and we lose focus. We become tilted. And as we go through God's word, we're brought back to the focus. We're brought back to the center of our lives, which is Jesus Christ. We get struggling. Don't get annoyed when somebody comes to you and tries to bring you back to the focus of Jesus Christ. Don't get annoyed to them by when they do that. Paul said to the church of Philippi in chapter 3, verse 1, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you, to me indeed, is not grievous, but to you is safe. Paul's saying, don't get upset when I tell you to focus on Christ, when I tell you to trust in him, when I tell you to rejoice in him. I want to bring you back to a safe place. I want to bring you back into the arms of God's love. In the arms of a loving Savior, I want to bring you back where you're most secure. Don't get stuck in your circumstances. Don't believe the lie by what you see. Believe what you know to be true in God's Word. We looked at God's Word. There are many promises. Many, many, many promises. And some of them aren't for us. Some of those promises are not for us. They're for the nation of Israel or they're specific to one person. But there are many promises in here that are for us, many promises that we can glean from. I know you have your favorites, but I have my favorite too. And one of them is 2 Peter 1, 2 through 4. I love this promises. Peter begins by saying, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of our Lord Jesus Christ, as his divine power has given to us all things pertaining to life and godliness, through the knowledge of him who has called us by glory and virtue by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these things you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. He says, 
I've given these things to you. Peter indicates that grace and peace, those two most precious gifts that everybody wants, they're ours in the knowledge of Christ. In the knowledge of Jesus Christ, that's where they are. As we know God, we gain these essentials for living. However, it's not only grace and peace, but it's all things that pertain to life and godliness. All things have been given to us, where? In the knowledge of him. In the knowledge of Christ. Knowing God is the key to where all things pertain to life lie. To where all godliness is. What a tremendous promise. We should strive towards him. We should strive to know him. We should not be dissatisfied with where we are, but we should press forward. Remember last week? We can't be satisfied with where we are. We need to press forward. We want more of the Lord. Unfortunately, we're willing to try almost anything else except the knowledge of Christ. We want to trust in schemes and plans. We want to trust in self. I'd rather know me than know Christ. I'd rather get to know me real deep, so I think I'm really going to dwell on me, rather than knowing him. We need to come to the same place of the Apostle Paul when he says that I may know him. That was his one goal, that I may know Christ. And the Greek word for knowledge here is not just a casual acquaintance. It means exact, complete, and thorough knowledge. Do you know the Lord like this? Is this the way you want to know the Lord? Is this how you grasp for the Lord in this way? How do we come to this knowledge? It comes as we learn of him through word, through prayer, and through the community of God like this. This is where the knowledge comes from, fellowshipping with one another. The word comes forth. You know, it does say that we're supposed to meet God in aloneness, but we're not supposed to be always alone. We need the community of believers in fellowship, iron, sharpening iron, building us up in the faith. I need someone to call me and say, hey, get your mind back on Christ. I need you. We need each other. We see someone, I need to prayer. Man, I want to pray for your brother. I want to pray for you, sister. I want to write you back up. The ship seems to be listing. You're listening a little bit. We need to get you back on center. Let's pray with you. Let's fellowship together. Let's read God's word. And that's what we do as a fellowship. We come to the knowledge of him and his glory and his virtue And what do we get? Exceedingly great and precious promises. We get these things. This means that the promises of God are based solely on his glory, based solely on his virtue, and they are perfectly reliable because God cannot lie. And he's always faithful even when we're faithless. God is always there. That's what they're based on. See, his great promises are not based on me. Praise God. They're not based on me because I'm going to fail every single time, but God never fails. His promises are based on him. What a wonderful thing. His promises are based on him. Paul received these promises, and one of the promises was, I'm with you. We have the same promise that Paul received today. We have that promise in Hebrews 13.5. For he himself said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That's a promise of God. You are You've been listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave. 
Pastor Dave has been making his way through the book of Acts, an exciting adventure into the beginnings of the Christian church. These first few days, weeks, months, and years of the Christian ministry were filled with much faith and courage. In fact, the very first martyrs were mentioned in this book. It was an interesting time in history for sure, and just like today, some people were eager to hear about Jesus, and others were looking to put those down who follow after him. What are some of the things that have stood out to you about today's message? We'd like to hear about it. Would you give us a call? Let us know how this message has impacted you. Our number is 609-884-5821. Once more, that number is 609-884-5821. If you're in the Cape May area, you're invited to join us at Calvary Chapel, Cape May. A Sure Hope is a ministry out of Calvary Chapel, Cape May, and we'd like to get to know you and worship God together this weekend. Check out AssureHopeRadio.com to find out service times. Again, that's AssureHopeRadio.com. And if you can't make it in person, we stream our services live to Facebook and YouTube. Just look for the links at AssureHopeRadio.com. That's all the time we have for today. But we hope you'll join us again on the next edition. Pastor Dave will continue on in the book of Acts, helping you understand and appreciate this great book here on Assure Hope.